All right. If I were to say to you, we're having a conversation and we're trying to figure out who someone is, it's a mutual friend and we just can't remember who it is, and I say, you know who he is, it's that guy who's like totally blessed with like everything, what do you think of right away when I say he's that one who's totally blessed? Do you think of possessions and money and cars and those things? Or do you think of a, a job with status, being popular? Or do you think of like health going on top of it so that you can enjoy it as well? That's what the world thinks of when they think of blessing and people who are blessed. But God looks at it differently. And God sees, or in today's, let's see, I'm going to start that sentence over again. God looks at it differently. He doesn't look at what people have, but he looks at what people are. And in today's passage, as we look at the Beatitudes, the blessings of God uh, in Matthew chapter 5, everyone in there seems to be cursed in the world's eyes. And yet in God's eyes, they're all blessed. So let's read this. This is Matthew chapter 5, and it's verses 2 through 12. Uh, it's in the Bible, we can have it up here, and also it's on um, the bulletin, there's an insert, it's in there as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 to 12. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, we come here this morning and we seek to hear you. Father, we want to be among the ones who are called blessed. For we know, Father, those who you bless are blessed indeed. It's not something they do. It's something that you do. And so, Lord, help us to understand this this morning. Help us to remember it this week. And let us take it to our hearts and apply this message. In your name, amen. All right. For anybody who's a note taker this morning, if you take notes when you listen to sermons, you can put away your pen and you can put away your paper. Because we're going to do something different this morning than what a normal sermon is. (laughs) I see Phil putting his papers away already. What we want to do is, this is a huge passage. And there's so much stuff that's in there. We want to take an overview of what it is. And so the way we're going to do it is the same way that John Bunyan taught us how to lead the Christian life in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to tell you a story is what I'm going to do. We're going to go through and we're just going to look at this in story form. Um, In your uh, bulletin, there's an insert. And on the back side of it, there's a a section from a book uh, 
by John Stott. You don't need to read this now, but these are the ones who are the note takers. There's notes already for you. You can read that sometime this week. It's all printed down. It's going to say it better than anything that I can say. So it's already right, so it's already right there. The reason we're going to do it in the story form is when the underlying goal of anybody who preaches is really three things. Number one is to be understood. They want you to understand what's being said. Number two is to remember it. You want to remember what is said. And number three is you want to be able to apply it during the week. And since this is a whole, such a huge section, we would get lost halfway through if we do the overview. So, we're going to go ahead and do it this way. I want to put a picture in your mind, and I want to tie it to a feeling in your heart so that you can remember this. So, we're going to take a walk around a small village, and we're going to see who lives there. We're going to meet these people who it is that Jesus Christ is telling us about. We want to go to their houses. We want to see what the yards look like. We want to see what their houses look like. We want to see what's inside their houses. What do they have hanging on the walls? What do they have in their backyards? Do they have pets? They all have those difficult, difficult neighbors who they just the neighbors just can't seem to get along, and we're going to take a peek at what those are. See, these people are blessed by God. We want to understand them. We want an example that we can follow. And as we look at these people, all these people are Christians who we see. So they're not trying to earn their way to heaven by what they do. They've already been given heaven. These are, this is God showing us how he works in the lives of believers and what the outcome is going to be. So as we get to the village... It's a quaint village. It's small. It's small enough that we can walk from one place to another. And as we go in there, we see a park right away. Then we walk into the park, and we see after the one side, we see a park bench. And there's a couple there, an older couple eating their lunch. And the man's taking his sandwich crust, and he's throwing it to the birds, and he's feeding that. Off to the other side, we see some kids playing a game. And as we go through the park, we want to get to the other side. In the center of the park, there's a statue. It's one of the founders of the town. And he's wearing a helmet. He's got a shield. He's got a sword. And down at the base, there's a little plate. And it says, Onward, Christian Soldier. And so we walk by that, and we kind of like it. And we see on the other side, there's a a dad teaching his, uh, or flying a kite with his two kids. It's just a nice place to be. So we get to the other side, and we come to the first house. The first house we see is the house of Mr. Poor in Spirit. His house is a small house. And the grass is thin. Some kind of like moss coming up. It doesn't grow very thick at all. The paint is starting to fade. And we look inside and we see Mr. Poor in spirit. And he's kneeling down. He's wearing old pants. They've got patches on the knees. Looks like they've been sewed up a few times. He's very, very, very thin. The most unusual thing about his house is that inside he's got a balanced scale. A balanced scale is one of those scales that tells value, like when they... Uh, like in the Old West, when they would see how much gold they had, they'd bring the gold in and they'd weigh it and they would go back and forth. He's got one of those scales in his house. It's the same kind of scale that King Nebuchadnezzar had that he got on when he was uh, uh, found lacking. So Mr. Porn Spirit gets on this scale and he finds that he's lacking. He finds that he falls short. He finds that he can't keep the law. He can't do the things that are required. He doesn't read his Bible as much as he should. He doesn't pray as much as he should. He doesn't love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his might. 
He doesn't love his neighbors as himself. He's not a good Samaritan as he looks at himself. Mr. Porn's spirit doesn't have a low self-image, but he sees himself accurately. He sees himself as he is. Because this scale is a gospel scale. And so he sees these things. And he sees that he needs Jesus, that he needs his Savior. Mr. Porn's spirit has a picture on the wall. The picture on the wall is a picture of the Apostle Paul. And that's his hero. And we look at the Apostle Paul and we think that he's one of the greatest Christians ever to live. And we look at the book of Acts and we see all the amazing things that we do. But Mr. Poor in spirit looks at him differently because he sees someone who also was poor in spirit. And his, he listens to the Apostle Paul when he says, I am the least of all the apostles. And he understands that because he can feel like that. And Jesus comes... And Jesus visits this house. And what does he see? He sees someone that does fall short. He sees someone that doesn't keep the law, who doesn't do all the things that are expected of him. But he sees him crying out for mercy. He sees him crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Is Jesus mad? Is he mad at his shortcoming? Is he mad at his spiritual poverty? Is he mad because um, he's weak? No. Jesus blesses him because he cries out. And he says, Blessed are you, Mr. Poor in Spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Does this man deserve this? Absolutely not. And God, out of his love, has given him the kingdom of heaven. Mr. Porn Spirit has a favorite verse. It's Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. And Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I came to, not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Mr. Porn Spirit has one of those neighbors who's very obnoxious. His name is Mr. Pride of Spirit. And unlike Mr. Poor of Spirit, he's a fat man. And he thinks that he is good enough. He thinks that he has done enough. And he looks down at Mr. Poor in spirit with contempt. He says, if only he read his Bible more like I do, if only he prayed more like I do, if only he gave more like I do, then he wouldn't be so poor in spirit. But God doesn't bless Mr. Pride of spirit. He blesses Mr. Poor of spirit. So we leave his house. We go up the sidewalk. We go back in the road. We take a little trip down. And we come to the house of Mr. Mournful. Mr. Mournful is Mr. Porn Spirit's best friend. And we always seem to see these guys together. And oftentimes, people confuse them for their brothers because they spend so much time together. And so Mr. Mournful's house kind of sits in the tall trees. It's kind of shaded. It's a little bit uh, dark. Lots of times you'll have his shades drawn, so it's kind of a darker place. And we look down and we see Mr. Mournful. And we see him kneeling down and we see him praying and we see a tear coming out of his eyes and we look behind him and we see a desk and above his desk he's got a little mirror there and every time he reads the Bible he looks into the mirror and he sees himself and he sees his sins and he sees his shortcoming and he sees this indwelling sin that is so hard to get rid of He sees it as a tree, and he tears the leaves off, and he breaks the branches, and he cuts the trunk, 
and he thinks it's all done, and he turns around and another sapling comes up. It's that root that just cannot be pulled out. And he sees his sin, and he grieves for it. And he mourns for his sin. He feels like he can't carry it. He feels like the burden is just too heavy. And he cries out, Woe is me, for I am the worst of all sinners. The Apostle Paul was wrong. It is me. I am the worst. And he looks around and he sees the sins of his friends. He sees the sins of his family. He sees the sins of his church and even the sins of the entire nation. And he thinks, I must be the brother of Isaiah the prophet. Because he said, for woe is me, for I am a lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell, I live with, in the midst of a people with unclean lips. And he mourns, and he repents, and he cries out to God. And Jesus visits this house. What does he see? Does he see a man so full of sin that he's unsavable? Does he see someone who just isn't worth the effort? No. He sees one of his children crying out to him. And like a mother, he has compassion on them. It's for this person that Jesus Christ came to save. And if he came to save him, certainly he will comfort him. Jesus looks at him. And he says, blessed are you, Mr. Mournful, for you will be comforted. The one thing that can comfort him is the forgiveness of his sins. And so Mr. Mournful's favorite verse is 1 John 1 through 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason this is his favorite verse is that Mr. Mournful's biggest temptation is to spend all of his time looking at his sins and looking at himself and looking inward and not looking to Jesus and not looking to the one who forgives his sins and saves him. And so he goes back to this verse and he remembers, it is Jesus who forgives my sins. It is him who cleanses me from unrighteousness. So he can look in the mirror and he can see all this stuff. And this, what he sees in the mirror, this is what Jesus is saving him from. And this is where he gets his comfort from. He has a neighbor they all have neighbors. His name is Mr. Reveler. And he lives in his sin. And he loves his sin. And he takes joy in his sin. And he tries to get everyone he can to join him in his sin. But in the end, he will find no comfort there. We leave Mr. Mournful's house. And we go to the house, and these two guys, Mr. and Mrs. Meek, are my favorite of them all. I don't know why, but I just love these two guys. They're an older couple. We're walking down the road, and if you don't know where they live, you're going to miss their house, because all they have is just a little path that kind of winds through the trees. It's, it's, the house is set back off the road. And when you get in there, Mr. and Mrs. Meek are in the back of the house, and they have a patio out there that kind of looks out back, and they're sitting out there. And so when we get there, we see Mr. and Mrs. Meek sitting on their patio. They're drinking a cup of tea, and they're just like enjoying like everything that God has given them. And they're just looking out, and they're watching the birds and stuff. Mr. Meek has a garden out back, and he's got pumpkins out there, and he's got squash out there, and he's got corn out there. Mrs. Meek is sitting there, and she's working on a quilt. They think it's going to be a cold winter. Her house isn't that warm, so she's working on this quilt. She knows she's going to need it. And, you know, if their neighbors looked at him, and they said, 
and pointed out how little they had. It was a small house, almost no money, almost no possessions at all, a job that pays very, very little, no status at all in the job. If they insinuated that they should be unhappy or discontent with it, Mr. and Mrs. Meek would look at them like they had two heads. <laughs> they would say, why on earth would we not be happy with what God has given us? Look at everything that he has given up, given us. They're, they're just a humble, quiet, unassuming couple. But you know what? Their neighbors at one time tried to get them to walk along the path of wickedness, to seek revenge, to get back what should have been theirs. And they started down that road. They listened to their neighbors, and they started down the road that they gave them. And their hearts soon became full of anger. Their hearts became full of hatred. They said, no longer will we be the sheep, but we will be the wolves. We are sick and tired of being the little guys. We are sick and tired of being pushed around. We will get back what is ours. You know what they got? They didn't get back anything that was theirs. All they got was tears. And they began to lose the happiness that they once possessed. But Jesus, in his love, visited this house and he reminded them that vengeance is his. He took those two little chips, he hid them under their wings, and he said, evil will not take you so easily. And now when he sees these, he sees Mr. and Mrs. Meek, and he sees them humble themselves before God. And they are satisfied in God and what he has given to them. They find their joy in God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Mr. and Mrs. Meek, for you shall inherit the earth. You will be happy later, but you will be happy now as well. You know how come I like these guys the best? Because of their favorite verse. Job chapter 2, verses 21. And they say it in unison. Mr. Meek starts it out, and Mrs. Meek always finishes the verse. So they'll just be sitting around, and they'll see something. And they, Mr. Meek will say, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And Mrs. Meek will answer, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they are happy. Their neighbors are Mr. and Mrs. Rich in this world. And they look at the Meeks, and they look at their little house, and his little garden, and her little quilts, and his little job, and they look down. They don't understand how come they can be happy with such little... And Mr. and Mrs. Rich in the world will get rich in this world no matter what the cost, no matter what they have to do, no matter what they have to sacrifice. They're going to get it in one way or another. And you know what? They may gain this world, but they will lose their souls. We leave Mr. and Mrs. Meek's house just feeling good just being around them, just thankful for what we have, thankful for what God has given us and where we are. And we come to the house with Mr. and Mrs. Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Hungry and Thirsty for Righteousness. Now his house is a little run down. The paint is dry and it's flaking off. The grass is brown and it's um, dry. Look at his cupboards and there's not much food. And we look and he's got a sink and the sink isn't working. 
And there's a pile of plumbing tools underneath as he's been trying and trying to get this thing to work, but just can't. Mr. Hungry and Thirsty for Righteousness is also a very humble person as well. And he doesn't look at himself and see what he is, but he looks at himself and sees what he isn't. See, he wants to be holy. He wants to lead a holy life. He knows it's not just enough to mourn for sin, but he wants to seek holiness. He wants to seek holiness. He wants to be holy, but he stumbles and he falls. He gives in to temptation. He lets down the ones that he cares the most about. He wants to have communion with God. He wants to have communion with God's people, with the brothers and sisters of the Lord. He wants the world itself to be holy. And we look inside, and today we see him crying out to God with the psalmist. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. See, Mr. Hungry and Thirsty for Righteousness cries out because he doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel righteous. If he did, he would be satisfied and he wouldn't be crying out. But because he feels that way, he cries out to God. And Jesus comes and visits him. And Jesus doesn't condemn him for being unrighteous, for not being filled with righteousness. He doesn't abandon him. He listens to him. He hears his cry. He sees someone who's tired and who's weak, who's downcast, who wants to be holy. He sees a bruised reed, and he says, I will not break it. He sees a candle, a wick, and the flame is out, and there's just smoke coming out of it, and there's just a little red spot on the end of that wick of that candle, and he says, I will not snuff it out. I will flat it to flame. And he says, blessed are you, Mr. Hungry and Thirsty for Righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. And he is satisfied. Mr. Hungry and Thirsty for Righteousness also has a favorite verse. It's Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. This is his favorite verse because hunger and thirst comes and go often. He feels hungry. He feels thirsty. He feels satisfied. And then he sees it again. And it comes back. And that cycle starts again. But this verse doesn't go away. This is a verse that he can put his faith in. Because this verse promises that God will see him through to completion at the day of Christ. And so this other stuff may come and go, and it may wane, but that is there to stay. His neighbor is Mr. Worldly. And Mr. Worldly cares nothing at all for leading a holy life. He cares nothing at all for righteousness whatsoever. He only cares for the things of this world. The next house we go to, we leave his house, and as we start approaching this house, the first thing we see is a swing set. And then we see a sandbox. And we see a house that any kid or a yard that any kid would absolutely love. 
And on the grass, there's a little path that's worn out from so many people walking through it up to the front door. This is the house of Miss Merciful. And so we take that worn out path and we open up the door. And inside, she has wooden floors. And there's a path from the front door that leads to the kitchen table where so many people have walked before. And the one thing that we notice right away about Miss Merciful's house is the smell. We smell right away a fire in the fireplace. And we just have that smell. And we smell the smell of fresh baked cookies with the fire in the fireplace and the cookies. This is a place that we love right off the bat, just being in there. It's a place that you go when you need someone or you need something. It's where you go to. Miss Merciful has a cat. And this cat has only got one eye and it only has a half a tail. This cat was a stray cat and got into a fight with a dog and it lost. And the cat crawled up onto her uh, doorstep there and she heard it meowing out there and she brought it in and she nursed it back to health. And this cat has been her favorite companion. It has been her lifelong companion ever since. And as we peek in, we see her bending down. She's holding this cat. She's petting this cat. And out of love, just instinctively, she doesn't even realize she does it, she bends down and she kisses the cat where the eye used to be. And the cat starts purring. And she's whispering to it. And the cat purrs louder than even her whispers, so we can't even tell what it is that they're saying. And we look back over the cat and we see something in a frame. And we can't tell what it is in the frame, but there's something there. And as we focus, we realize that it's a handkerchief. And she's taken an old handkerchief and she framed it. This handkerchief was given to her by a friend. When Miss Merciful went through the most difficult trial of her life. And she took that handkerchief. And she framed it because she always wanted to remember what it was like to have a friend who was there when you needed someone. And if we were to go to Miss Merciful, the house of her friends, and we would look around, we would see little evidences of her love, of her mercy, of her kindness at their house. We would see a bag of groceries on the counter in one house. We would see a Band-Aid on the elbow of a child in another one. We would see her fingerprints on a coffee cup of another friend. This is a house that we never, ever want to leave. And it seems like our visit is always way too short when we come to her house. And you know what? This is a place that Jesus loves to visit. This is a house that he loves. Because he sees the love that Miss Merciful has for everyone especially for the wounded, her love for the downhearted and the faint, her love for the weak and her love for the discouraged. This is the heart of God in the presence of man in Miss Merciful. And Jesus shows her mercy both now in this world and in heaven to come. And he says, For blessed are you, Miss Merciful, for you shall receive mercy. Miss Merciful really walks out her favorite verse. Her favorite verses are in Matthew 25. It says, Then the righteous will answer and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. You can probably guess what her neighbor's name is. Mr. Selfish. He doesn't understand how she can give away her money. He doesn't, stand, he doesn't understand how she can give away her food to these people. He doesn't understand how she can listen to their sob stories. Because he wants to spend everything that he has on himself and on his own entertainment. And you know her cat? He hates that cat. <laughs> he can't even stand to look at that cat at all. We leave her house. We like to go back. Maybe when we come back, that's the first place that we'll visit. Them or Mr. and Mrs. Meek, I'm not quite sure. I've always liked those older couples. But we leave her house and we come to the house of Mr. Pierre and Hart. Mr. Pierre and Hart has a neat, quaint little house. It's got a white picket fence with a gate in there. The lawn is absolutely green, absolutely perfect. The inside of the house is just as nice as what the outside of the house is. It's got... Um, matching furniture and matching drapes and um, wallpaper. It's just a nice place inside. And really, this place, this house is a dream house. And if this thing ever goes in the market, it's going to be snatched up in a single day, probably like that afternoon. This is how nice of a house it is. Mr. Puren Hart is a man of his word. What he says he does he does. What he says he believes, he does. If you ask his wife and you say, is Mr. Pierenhart the same at home as he is when he's in church or when he's at work? And she would say, absolutely. In fact, I think he's better when he's at home than when he's at church. And if you ask the kid the same question, what is your dad like? He would just hold, they would just hold up the mug that says world's greatest dad. And they would just smile at you. And if you ask his co-workers, what is he like? What is Mr. Pierre and Hart like at work? And they would say he's honest. He's hardworking. He treats everybody the same. It doesn't matter who it is, he treats them the same. He is one of those rare men who is holy on the inside and on the outside. He doesn't just act holy because he's supposed to. He acts holy because he is holy. And he wants to be holy. He strives at all times to be holy. You know what he has on his desk? He's got a little pen set that he got on his desk. And on one side of it, it's a piece of unrefined gold. It's just a lump. It actually looks kind of ugly. On the other side of the pen set is a piece of pure, polished, beautiful gold. That's to remind himself that everything that is pure now wasn't always pure. What's pure now has gone through the fires of affliction. It had to be made pure. And Mr. Pure in heart went through the fires of affliction. There's not dross in his faith now because it's been burned off. And he never wants to forget that. So he got the pen set so he'd see it every day. And he wants to remember it every time he looks into the eye of someone who is doubting, who is struggling with their faith, who was just ready to plain give up because he was there himself. 
And when he was about to go down for the last time, God put someone in his life who pulled him out of the mire. And he wants to remember that. And he wants to be that person when he sees these ones who are struggling. And Jesus visits this house and he promises him that he will see God. He says, blessed are you, Mr. Pure in heart, for you shall see God. And you know what? Until that day that he sees Jesus face to face, until he walks with him in heaven, he will see God in us. Because we are the church and we are Christ's body. Mr. Pure in heart has a neighbor. His neighbor is the biggest house in the entire village. And from the outside, it's the most beautiful looking house of all. This is Mr. Hypocrite. Outside the house looks beautiful. But inside it's almost empty. It's got a little furniture. And the furniture there is is torn. It's ripped and it's stained. If you go into the kitchen, there's plates all over. There's food that's just drying. There's flies buzzing around the garbage can. Mr. Hypocrite looks wonderful on the outside. He looks like the best there is. But inside there is nothing. There's only three houses left to go, or I should say we have three houses left to go, and our day is almost done. The morning is almost over, so we have to pick up the pace if we're going to see these next three houses. We really only have time to peek in, to just take a glance inside. So we go to the next house, and this is Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker's house. It's a very inviting house. They've got flower boxes out front, and there's flowers in there, and they've got a little flower garden. And Mrs. Peacemaker took the flowers from the garden, and she put them on the table. So when you walk in, there's flowers there, and there's a smell of coffee in the air. When we look in there, we see in the living room, on the coffee table, an empty box of Kleenex. This box was emptied last night. They had some friends over. These friends are at their wits' end with each other. They're going through a divorce. They don't even know why they came to Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker's house in the first place, but they were invited for dinner. So reluctantly they went. They went together, and they spent the night on the couch talking, crying with a box of tissues, trying to work it out. The one thing that Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker understand is that peace is not always easy and it's not always free of pain. Mr. Peacemaker was joking and laughing with Mrs. Peacemaker just a couple of days ago. And he was joking hard and he started laughing at her. And Mrs. Peacemaker didn't say anything then. And he went to work and it built up on the inside of her. And she wanted to talk to him about it. And you realize that there's the pain involved in confronting someone that you love. And for Mr. Peacemaker, there was the pain of humbling himself and asking for her forgiveness. Mrs. Peacemaker could have done nothing. And there would have been no outflict outside conflict. Because even the joking from someone who's watching didn't appear to be anything but just a harmless joking. But they both knew it was a little bit too far. The absence of outside conflict isn't the presence of peace. At the most, it could be apathy if no one said anything. They don't want the absence of conflict only. They want the presence of love and the presence of peace. So they confront each other 
And it's difficult. It's not easy to either confront them or to receive that. But they do it to bring about the peace. That's their goal is to bring about the peace. And they try, as Matthew Henry says, to preserve the peace that it may not be broken and to recover it when it is broken. They have a friend who does cross-stitch, counted cross-stitch, and they uh, made a little thing for the Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker to put on the wall. It's a little saying by J.C. Ryle. It says this. It says, Peacemakers are doing the very work which the Son of God began when he came to earth the first time, which he will finish when he returns the second time. Jesus smiles at them. And he says, Blessed are you, Mr. and Mrs. Peacemaker, for you shall be called the sons of God. As we leave, we only glance at their neighbor's mailbox that says Mr. Dissension and Mrs. Gossip. We come around the corner. We have totally loved this morning and seeing all these people and the village and the house. And what we are not prepared for the shock of seeing the next house. We come around the corner and this has clearly been vandalized. Some of the windows have been broken and they've been boarded up. There's graffiti on the walls. The lawn has been torn up. The flowers have been uprooted. This is the house of Mr. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Inside right now he's cleaning up, but outside, or earlier he was outside, and he was laughed at, and he was ridiculed, and he was mocked, and someone threw a rock and hit him in the forehead, and he ended up with a gash on his forehead. But right now, you know what he's doing? He's inside and he's singing. He's singing Onward Christian Soldiers. And he's smiling. He's cleaning up. He has a Bible study tonight. He can't wait for the people to get there. And he's cleaning up right now. And he's dusting off the pictures. These are the pictures of his hero. He's got a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. He's got a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He's got a picture of Stephen when he's been stoned for preaching God's word. He's got a picture of Paul lying on the ground, left for dead. And in the center of all these pictures, he's got a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. He dusts off the picture of Stephen. He touches the bandage on his forehead. He straightens the picture out, and he smiles. And he starts to sing. And Jesus looks down, on him with love, and he whispers. He says, Blessed are you, Mr. Persecuted, for righteousness' sake. You have confessed me before men, and I will confess you before my Father and the angels at the last day. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. We're about to leave town. We've seen all the houses that we came to see. We've met the people that we wanted to meet. And we see one last house. And it has a for sale sign out front. And this house is perfect for you. And you have fallen in love with this village. You have fallen in love with the people inside of this village. And you decide to buy the house. Inside this house, there are eight different rooms. Ready for you to decorate. Ready for you to fill up ready for you to live inside. How will you decorate them? How will you fill them up? How will you live when you move in there?
See, God wants you to have an eight-room house. Because he wants you to have one room for every one of these characteristics that we've seen. He doesn't want you to be just poor in spirit, or just meek, or just merciful. But he wants you to have all. He wants you to be poor in spirit, to see yourself as you are. He wants you to mourn for your sins. He wants you to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. He wants you to be meek. He wants you to be merciful. He wants you to be pure in heart. He wants you to be a peacemaker. He wants you to be willing to be persecuted for his sake. And he wants to bless you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to let you to see God. He wants you to become the sons of God. He wants to give you this earth. He wants to give you the kingdom of heaven. The band can come up. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father God, we come before you, and we just thank you. These people didn't try to earn heaven. We don't earn heaven. These people were blessed by you. And you will bless us, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to see our sins. Help us to mourn for our sins. Let us not stop there, though. Help us to strive for holiness, to just hunger and to thirst for it, to hunger and thirst for you. And as we are with each other, let us be merciful. Let us be humble, to be meek. Let us, Lord, be pure in heart. Let us be peacemakers, even when it's hard, even when it hurts. And Lord, above all, let us be willing to be persecuted for your sake. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand.